0: things. Um, this last week, hopefully you had a chance to go be a part of the 4th of July. Since I've been here, um, we got here, you know, in early June, where there's been this big push towards the 4th of July celebration and our participation in that. And so it was really, really fun uh, to be out here on the field uh, the other day with all of you guys and to see what that's all about, to see our church community in action uh, was just so cool. And uh, a couple of things that I wanted to say about that. One is uh, we had over, I, I don't know exactly what the final number was, but we had over 105 people volunteer or participate in some way in pulling off the 4th of July. And yeah, you can clap for that. That's definitely definitely a win. And then <clears throat> the city just continues to... Uh, value our participation in that and and has supported us and asked us to do more and i think that's a really cool thing that relationship that's happening and forming there is, is beautiful a lot of times the church not just discovery but the church i think tries to recreate things sort of off to the side and and then there's all these other things that are that are already happening and so for us to join in what is already happening what's already a thing that's going on and being celebrated in our city i think is a beautiful way for us to bear witness to Jesus and to his kingdom breaking in here on earth. So that was very cool. I, I need to say a very big thank you and uh, mad props to Shana, who was up here playing the keyboard. She did, is she back there somewhere? There she is. She did an amazing job pulling that off and coordinating all the details and telling us where to be and, and just uh, well well done. Um, one other thing before I, I pause here and pray, and then we get into our, our new series here. Um, next Sunday, and this this week is the last week for Jeff Kreiser to serve as uh, part of our team. So he was just up here a moment ago as part of the teaching team. Most of you know who Jeff is at this point. He's been our transition pastor for over the last year during this time of uh, transition in our story and has done a great job of just being a stabilizing presence and a leadership presence for our church. Um, and so next Sunday is going to be his last Sunday with us. I'm sure we'll see him again, but in a, an official capacity, his last Sunday with us. So if you can be here, please be here to thank him and honor him for his service uh, to Discovery. Keep that in your minds this week. All right, let's, uh, let's pray and then uh, we'll get into this new series that we're calling Pilgrim. Father, thank you for the teaching team, those folks that were just up here on this stage for their uh, willingness to sacrifice and uh, give up some of their time and energy to be a part of uh, sharpening the teaching that happens here on Sunday mornings. God, I'm grateful for each one of them. I I ask that you would continue to use them and, and use their gifts, whether that's here at Discovery or wherever they might be around Uh, around the country or even the world, God, to uh, share your word and give insight into your scripture in a way that is excellent and honoring to the truth that we find there. Um, God, I pray that you would continue to raise up more teachers and people who are capable of opening the scripture and explaining it to us here. May we be a a church that, that develops and even sends out excellent teachers of your word. Now, Father, as we turn our attention to Scripture, would you soften our hearts this morning? Whatever is going on in our lives today that we bring into this space, would you hold that for us so that this will be fresh, that this will be uh, something that we are able to, to hear and interact with and respond to in the way that we need to respond? We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so this new series this morning is called Pilgrim or Pilgrims. We're going to be looking at some of the Psalms here for the next nine or ten weeks this summer. But to get us started this morning, I wanted us to begin with the word discipleship. All right, discipleship is a word. It gets tossed around a lot in churches these days. It's a very buzzy church word right now. Not a word, though, that you hear a lot or spend a lot of time talking about outside of church. right? You don't gather around the water cooler on Tuesday afternoon and talk about How's your discipleship going? But a word that, again, is used a lot within the walls of church, and it's a word that I think has sort of become a catch-all for a lot of different things. And so my hope is that, in part, this series helps clarify some things about discipleship for us. Now, whether, uh, whether you talk about this outside of church or not, the reality is, the truth is, we are all being discipled all the time. Broadly speaking, this is just going to be a very general definition, discipleship is formation into a way of life. Formation into a way of life. There are thousands, millions of ways of doing life. Therefore, we can be formed, discipled into thousands and millions of different ways of doing life. And so whether we are intentional about it or not, whether we have named it or not, we are always being discipled by something. We are always being formed By something, by the things that we read and watch and listen to, by the places we spend our time, by the hobbies that we invest our lives in. And then, of course, and maybe most importantly, we are shaped, we are formed, we are discipled by the communities that we are a part of. Let me give you a couple of sort of silly examples from my own life. When I was in college, I was discipled into the way of Ultimate Frisbee. I can think of one time in my life, outside of being a student, that I've played Ultimate Frisbee, but while while a student, I was invited by this community to participate in this game. It happened every Friday. We played every Friday for three or four years of my college experience. I was discipled into the way of Ultimate Frisbee. When we lived in Boston, we lived in Boston for seven years before moving to Oakland, before moving here, I was discipled into the way of biking as the... Supreme form of urban transportation. <laughs> Every All the Davis people said amen, right? <laughs> now, i would ridden bikes since I was five years old or whatever it was, but I'd never biked as a way to commute around town. But again, I was a part of a team. I was a part of a community of people who rode their bikes to campuses and, and to our office. And so I got into it too. I, I, I got the messenger bag and I started rolling my pant leg up and pretending like I knew what I was doing. I was discipled into the way of biking. Now, this is totally, this has nothing to do with anything, but I need to say it. Do you guys, do you Davis people realize how good you have it here when it comes to biking? Yeah, it's flat. (laughs) There are bike paths and lanes everywhere. In Boston, we had a rite of passage. It was called getting doored, and this is where you're in... This is where you're in the bike lane and you're riding along minding your own business and somebody opens their door right as you're passing by. I know several people who had significant accidents because of a door. Again, we have it good here. This is what heaven is like for people who bike. (laughs) I won't even tell you about my commute in Oakland. Amy likes to pretend that never even happened. Now, speaking of Oakland, when we moved there, I was very quickly introduced, discipled into the way of third wave coffee. If this is not a term that you are familiar with, first wave coffee is diner coffee. It's that like glass bowl thing with the orange handle, and it's been sitting there for eight hours. Um, That's first wave coffee. Second wave is Starbucks and, and places like that. And then third wave is the pour overs and the latte art and the sort of snobby hipster People who pretend like you're not there when you're trying to order. I don't know what that's all about, but it's part of the experience. So, disciples into the way of Third Wave Coffee. This was a very easy conversion for me because we had been living in Boston, which is the land of Dunkin' Donuts. Where'd it go? It'll come back. Anyway, Dunkin' Donuts is... A styrofoam cup filled with cream and sugar, and then there's some sort of coffee-like substance that's thrown in on the top of it. So my introduction to third wave coffee was like, oh, this is amazing. I was discipled into the way of good coffee. Now, these are all silly examples, but hopefully they drive home the point, which is, again, our communities, the people that we are with, rubbing shoulders with all the time. These communities of people shape us and form us. Discipleship is always happening to us. So the invitation of Jesus to come and follow me to be his disciple is in part an invitation to be very clear. Very intentional about what is going to shape us. And this is where this Pilgrim's series is taking us. Right into the heart of this question. What really is discipling you? Who is discipling you? What is forming and shaping our lives? Are we being discipled into the way of career advancement? Into the way of academic achievement? Into the way of family or culture or science and technology or self-promotion? Or are we being discipled, formed, Into the ways of Jesus. What really? Who really is discipling us? Now, we're going to spend some time unpacking this question in the Psalms. And in particular, we're going to be looking at a a subsection within the larger book of Psalms. By the way, if you're not familiar with where the Psalms are, or if you need a Bible, raise your hand. We can get you a Bible here in just a second. But the easiest way to find it, you just open your Bible right to the middle and you'll be in the Psalms. It's 150 poems, songs that have been used by people for thousands of years to pray and for worship. Now when you read through the Psalms, you may notice that there's there's some extra notations or instructions given in some of the Psalms. Psalm 50, for example, says a Psalm of Asaph. And this is simply giving credit to the author. Other times there will be things like this. Psalm 53, to the choir master, according to Mahalath, a mascal of David. Now you guys all know what a Mahalath and a mascal is, right? So I don't have to explain that to you. (laughs) The good news is no one really knows what it means, okay? Even Old Testament scholars are not sure what these things mean. They're just, they're probably some sort of musical instruction. Now when we get to Psalm 120 and the 14 psalms that come after that we know what the title means. All of them will have the title a song or a psalm of a sense. So Psalm 120 to 134 it's a, again it forms a smaller subsection within the larger book of psalms. These were 15 songs that were sung by Hebrew pilgrims as they made their way to Jerusalem ascended up the hill into Jerusalem for one of the major festivals of the year a good hebrew would have done this three times for passover pentecost and tabernacles and i think these psalms and this idea of a journey making a journey teaches a lot about discipleship in the way of jesus And so what I want to do here is just kind of give a couple of big categories to sort of frame the conversation for us. And then we'll get into Psalm 120 in a little bit more depth in just a moment. So the Psalms of Ascent teach us that discipleship is a journey. This, again, is where we get the title for this series, Discipleship in the Way of Jesus, is a pilgrimage. It is a spiritual journey. We are moving somewhere in a particular direction. For Old Testament Hebrews, this was a very literal journey. They had to travel in some instances pretty far distances to get to Jerusalem for one of these celebrations. And we don't, we don't really do that anymore. Um, maybe you consider your bike ride here a pilgrimage every Sunday morning. But this was a, a much more serious journey for these folks. However, we still use this language a lot. And the New Testament refers to A walk, walking with Jesus often. This idea that we are again headed somewhere. We have not yet fully arrived. And so we must press on. We must keep pursuing a particular direction. This brings us to the second thing. Discipleship is a journey, it's also intentional. You did not just wake up one day and decide, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. You needed to know when the festivals were being celebrated. You needed to make the decision to actually go. And then you had to plan and prepare and make sure you had all the stuff that you needed. And then you had to actually do it, right? Take that step out your front door that particular morning and begin the journey towards Jerusalem. Same thing for us. We have to make intentional, thoughtful, daily decisions choices, and decisions about our formation in the way of Jesus. It's not random. We'll be talking about what some of these choices are throughout this conversation. Many of these psalms are going to hit on some very specific topics that relate to what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. So a journey, discipleship is intentional, and then the third thing here is discipleship is communal, and this brings us back to that idea of the formation that takes place in community with other people. You would never have seen a solo pilgrim making their way to Jerusalem, humming these tunes to themselves on the road. It was always done in community. Families would connect to other families, would connect to villages, would connect to tribes. And you'd have this massive group of people singing these songs together as they headed up the hill, ascended up the hill into Jerusalem. This is so important, I think, that we have this picture in our mind because far too often our modern conversation on discipleship is focused on individuals. Maybe more particularly unindividual, me. What what am I doing? What am I getting out of it? What are the things that I need to do personally to follow Jesus? Now there are some good questions within that, but that's not how the Hebrews thought about formation. It's not how Jesus did formation either. When you look at the stories about Jesus, you see five primary contexts where discipleship happens. I'm just going to move through this fairly quickly, but the first one is the public. Jesus, with a huge crowd of people, many of the Gospels talk about Jesus in front of large crowds, and he'll give a teaching or something will happen. Formation happens in these public settings. Going down a level, there's the social context for discipleship. Jesus at a party or someone's home or a synagogue, maybe 20 to 70 people. And again, he'll, have it, he'll heal someone. There'll be a conversation. There'll be a teaching that he gives. He'll tell a parable. Then there's the interpersonal level. Jesus specifically chooses 12 guys to invest his time in for three years. Within that, there's an even smaller circle. There's the transparent level, the three. Jesus Spent a little bit extra time with Peter, James, and John. And they got to see and experience some things that the other disciples didn't get to see and experience. Now finally, there is the personal level. We do see Jesus retreating, moving away from all of this, to be by himself, to spend time in prayer with his father. Now, if you weight those five contexts equally, that's 80% of formation of discipleship that happens in the context of relating to other people. Now, introverts, this doesn't mean you have to spend 80% of your time with people, okay? Take a deep breath. It's going to be okay. But I I offer that just to simply say far too much of our conversation is focused on that personal context. And we forget about those four other categories. But formation is always happening in community. And again, the Psalms of a sense remind us of this. Teach us this. Point us in this direction. That discipleship is a journey. It's intentional. And it is communal. And then again, within that frame, these psalms will each hit on a different topic or aspect of our life. Everything from worship to work to family, community, how we respond to injustice, how we respond to various life challenges. And what that teaches us, what that demonstrates for us is that all of our life matters. Discipleship is not an extra activity for really spiritual people who have some... Some time in their life for this. Discipleship infuses everything that we do. All of our life is caught up in learning the ways of Jesus. There is nothing that gets left out or segmented away. It all matters, it all belongs, it's all part of our formation. All right, here's what I want to do now. We're going to read through Psalm 120. So if you have a Bible or your phone, take a look at that. It'll also be up on the screen. And what I want us to do is read through this together. So I'll lead us through this. But as a way to remind ourselves that these were songs sung in community, we're going to read this together. So read along with me. In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. Deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. What shall be given to you, and what more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue? A warrior's sharp arrows, with glowing coals of the broom tree. Woe to me that I sojourn in Meshach, that I dwell among the tents of Kedar. Too long have I had my dwelling among those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. This psalm, there's different types of psalms. There's Thanksgiving psalms, there's praise psalms. This psalm is a lament psalm, and it begins on this ominous note, right? In my distress. Back in the day, we used to make things called mixtapes, okay? If you don't know what that is, here's a picture of Groot with a (laughs) mixtape, A mixtape or a mixed CD, it was a great way uh, to express yourself. They were really uh, fun on road trips. They were also useful in wooing someone that you were interested in. There is uh, an art and a science to making a great mixtape, and fundamental to that is getting the first song right. The first song communicates so many things to the listener. It tells you a little bit about what you like, and it communicates that that. You're trustworthy. <laughs> you can sit back and enjoy and listen to this, right? If you nail that first song. Now, if you think of the Psalms of Ascent as a mixtape for this journey to Jerusalem, Psalm 120 is not a good track one. <laughs> it's like starting with a, like a sad acoustic song, right? So the question is, why does it begin here? Why do they begin with this song? Well, there's a couple of of roots, a couple of causes of the distress that the author is feeling. The first one is what I would call a culture of lies. Verse 2, deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. Now, as we've already said, whether we have chosen or not, whether we've named it specifically or not, we are being discipled by something. And while there's a lot of good and beauty in our world, the reality is we are constantly bombarded by lies. The lie that you have to be physically beautiful to be loved. The lie that money will buy us happiness. The lie that my people, my nation, are to be protected above all others. The lie that technology will solve all of our problems. The lie that the most important goal in life is to be comfortable or successful or the best or to be able to buy a gigantic house. Whatever it might be, Lord, deliver us from lying lips. So the author of this psalm recognizes I'm in this culture of lies, but there's also a secondary cause of distress. It's what we might call a culture of violence. Verses 5 and 6, woe to me that I sojourn in Meshek; that I dwell among the tents of Kedar. Too long have I had my dwelling among those who hate peace. And there's various other references through this psalm to this culture of violence. Now we need to take a moment to talk about Meshach and Kedar. These are the kinds of things, the sorts of names and words that when we're reading through, especially the Old Testament, right, we just sort of blow right past that. What does that mean? How do you even say those words? What, is, what, are they, what are they talking about? And we skip on to whatever the next verse is because it might be easier to understand. But these are really interesting places, okay? Meshach and Kadar were both nomadic tribes referenced throughout Scripture. Meshach was descended from Japheth. We can see this in, in Genesis chapter 10. They roamed parts of Asia Minor, which is now in modern Turkey. So to the north of Israel and Jerusalem. Tadar, also a nomadic tribe, they were descendants of Abraham, but through Ishmael, not Isaac. And they roamed the Arabian deserts south and east of Palestine. And there's a lot of debate among scholars about what what these locations mean within the context of this particular psalm. So some see this as literal. These are the, the distant lands, if you will, the outer boundaries from which one would travel to go to Jerusalem. It's sort of saying, I am really far away from where I want to be. Others argue that these locations are more metaphorical and that they represent important moments in Israel's history. There's this connection between Meshach and Mesopotamia, the land that Abraham was called to leave, Genesis 12, when he's called Abram. And then Kedar represents Egypt, where the, the people of Israel, Abraham's descendants, were in slavery for 400 years. So in both cases, these places represent A time where God intervened in their story, rescued them from one place, a a bad place, and then led them, delivered them to a better place. So I think whether you take this literally or metaphorically, the point is fairly clear. The psalmist, the author, is in a place that he doesn't want to be. Not in a good place. Far from Jerusalem. Far from God's presence. Far from God's people. Engaged in this way of life, these cultures of lies and violence that are not God's ways. And I think this is why these psalms start here. What Psalm 120 is saying to us is that the first step of this discipleship journey is recognizing I am not in a good place. I am not in a good place. I'm immersed in a culture of lies a culture of violence, and I want truth, I want peace, I want to get out of here. The ancient philosopher Mencius says, before a man can do things, there must be things he will not do. Before a man can do things, there are things he will not do. The sentiment, I think, is captured by the biblical word repentance. You see, we must be fed up with all of the other options that are available to us. We must be fed up with the ways of the world if we are to set out on the ways of Jesus. And so this is where the Psalms of Ascent say we must start, by saying no to something. This is where Jesus started as well. Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God, saying, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. Believe in the gospel. Now some of us, if we've been in church especially for a while, we might have <clears throat> some baggage with the word repent, with the idea of repentance. Maybe we've heard that word and it's been used to manipulate us or we just have these images, these, these feelings of, of self-condemnation, being forced to say all the things that you've done wrong. Now confession Naming our sin, naming our stuff is a really important practice, and it can lead to freedom and healing. Scripture teaches that over and over again, but that is not the same thing as repentance. The Hebrew word for repentance that that would have captured the worldview of these pilgrims and the worldview that Jesus was speaking into is the Hebrew word teshuva. Everybody say teshuva. Well done. Very good. Teshuvah means literally to return. And Hebrew is a visual language, and so the the picture that's being painted here is of going in a direction, and you realize, I'm going the wrong way. And so you turn, and you head back to where you started, or you turn and you head in a new direction. Teshuvah is recognizing, I have been living for too long in Meshach and Kedar. Living too long around violence and lies. I need to get out of here. The journey of intentional discipleship in the way of Jesus must start with saying no first. And so every pilgrimage to Jerusalem was a teshuva, was a turning, was a returning repentance moment for these pilgrims. Now, Here's a crazy thought. I want you to hang with me here for just a second, okay? This was not just something that Jesus talked about or preached or called people to. This was something that Jesus did. And you might be thinking, hey, wait a minute. Jesus didn't need to repent of anything. He never did anything wrong. And if you're thinking of repentance in the confessional sense, you are right. But watch this. In the Gospel of Luke, we read that when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. What Jesus is doing here is saying no to all the other options that were available to him. No to power and kingdom, traditional power and kingdom. No to popularity and adulation. And he's turning his face to Jerusalem. And as you read through the Gospel of Luke, you see that Jesus, it takes him 10 chapters to get there. He goes on a 10-chapter pilgrimage that ends with him heading up the hill. Ascending into Jerusalem to celebrate one of these festivals, the Passover. Luke's gospel is interesting. It's very explicit about naming the crowds of people following Jesus. It's almost like Luke wants us to see what Jesus is saying no to. Again, no to power, popularity, relevance. So that he can then say yes to the cross. Yes, to death and suffering, but also yes to resurrection and restoration and reconciliation. This is Jesus' moment of teshuva, turning away from all of the other options and saying yes to the option, the mission that he came to fulfill. And this is the good news. The gospel that we celebrate every Sunday when we take communion together, that Jesus said no. To these other options and yes to the cross. Making it possible for us to have peace with God and with others. This is how the psalm ends on this note. This could be Jesus' own words. I am for peace but when I speak they are for war. And this brings us back to where the psalm begins in many ways. In my distress I called to the Lord and he answered me. It doesn't sound like he answered him, right, as you read through this psalm, but he begins with this confidence. If we say no to Meshach and Qadar, no to this culture of violence and lies, we also must then say yes to a God of deliverance. Yes to a God who brings peace. And so these bookend verses, verse one and seven, represent that yes. And that yes, uh, Teaches us, I think, two things that are really important about this idea of repentance. The first is this repentance is a decision, not an emotion. Repentance is not about feeling bad. Now, feeling bad might be the thing that wakes you up to the reality that you are not in a good place, that you are in a meshik or qadara and you need to get out. But that feeling is not the repentance. The distress is not the repentance, the call to the Lord is the repentance. The decision to move in a new direction, to move towards God and with God. This leads to the second thought here. Repentance results in peace. Saying no, repenting, is a kind of death, but it is a death that leads to life. Jesus says, lose your life and you will find it. This new life is a life of peace. What the Old Testament writers call shalom. This is the word that oftentimes in in the Old Testament is translated into the English word peace. We'll get into this throughout this series. This idea of shalom, we'll unpack this more and more in the coming weeks. But for now, just a very simple definition. Shalom is right relationship with God and with people. It's peace with God and with others. Shalom is the way that God always intended the world to function right relationship with him and with other people. It's the goodness he declared over his creation in Genesis chapter 1, and it is the better place. It is the promised land he still calls us into. Psalm 18, he brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. I called to the Lord, and he answered me. God does not want you to languish in Meshach and Kedar. He wants to take you to a good place, a spacious place, a place of peace with him and with others. So a real simple question this morning is, are you in a good place? Are you in a good place or is there something that you need to be rescued from? Financial trouble, relational issues, loneliness, depression, success, comfort, complacency, violence, lies. Are you in a good place? The first step is teshuva, turning around, heading in a new direction, a Godward direction. And so the other question for us today is simply, what turn do you need to make? What turn can you even make right now, this morning? Maybe it's as simple as turning to God for the first time. Maybe it involves making peace with someone, forgiving someone, letting go of a grudge. Maybe it involves turning towards community, opening your life up to people, asking for help. Do you need to make a turn this morning? Do you need to repent and head in a new direction? God wants to rescue us. He wants to deliver us. To bring us to a good place, a spacious place, a place of peace with him and with others. Let's pray. Father, we acknowledge that we are constantly being formed. And as a, as a community, as a group of people who are seeking to follow Jesus, we commit to the best of our ability to be formed by Jesus. And so, God, over the next several weeks, as we keep uh, moving through this series, would you, uh, would you help us to see what we need to turn away from so that we can say yes to the ways of Jesus? God, this morning, if there are folks here who who have not had that moment of turning, of repenting, of coming back to you, would you give them the courage to make that turn this morning? If there are those here who are are recognizing, realizing, I'm not in a good place and I uh, I need something different, I want to get out of these things that I'm in, this culture of lies and violence, again, would you give them the courage to respond this morning and to turn towards you? God, would we be a a community that helps form people into shalom, peace with you and with others. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.